0: Now, Cassie, tell us a a little bit about your background. How long have you been? Obviously, uh, you're an Irish lass. Uh,
1: First of all, thank you for uh, recognising that I'm not from Canada, like uh, most Australians. Uh, (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) Um, Yeah, seriously, like twice a week, at least.
0: Thanks to Cryer Malt, local malt for local beer, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and in Pete Mitchum's absence, I uh, would like to introduce our regular co-host, James Atkinson. James, welcome back.
2: G'day, Matt. Good to be here.
0: And uh, also uh, a special guest presenter, Cassie O'Neill. Cassie, uh, welcome to Radio Brews News.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Matt and James, for having me. I've um, always wanted to replace Prof. Hopefully uh, hopefully my jokes are better than his. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, certainly the accent goes a long way to, to that. But Cassie, before we uh, go any further, we, we might introduce you. Now, you are Stomping Ground's brewery representative, uh, Great Melbourne Brewery Stomping Ground. You're their uh, brewery representative and sales rep, and you were also Australia's first Female Cicerone.
1: I was indeed, yes.
0: Uh, do you still have that title?
1: I don't know. A lot, a lot of wonderful uh, women have joined me in the fray, which is is very exciting for us. So uh, I was the first, but no longer. But I'll always have that. I'll always be the first.
0: <laughs> you, you'll always have that, and you are trying to be Australia's first male or female advanced Cicerone.
1: I am, yeah. I took the exam in March last year. Um, unfortunately. I passed, well, unfortunately, I didn't pass the written part of it. I passed the tasting. I uh, had the hurdle of water chemistry, which kind of uh, made me fall, but I I just have to retake the written. So hopefully that's coming
0: up soon. It's interesting. A lot of people don't necessarily think that you need to go back to, uh, for for those who did high school chemistry, um, right back to that level of detail when you're learning a little bit about beer.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, and the, the jump between the certified Cicerone and the advanced, um, there is a lot of science, which wasn't um, ever my strong suit, um, so that that was a struggle for me. Um, I can deal with the beer styles and all that kind of stuff, but the, the science is, is a little more confusing for me.
0: Now, Cassie, tell us a, a little bit about your background. How long have you, obviously, uh, you're an Irish lass, um, did you grow up loving beer, or is Discovery of craft beer a fairly recent thing for you.
1: Uh, thank, first of all, thank you for uh, recognizing that I'm not from Canada like uh, most Australians. Uh, <laughs> seriously? Um, yeah, seriously. Like twice a week at least. Um, <laughs> but um, I am actually really new to beer. I moved to Australia kind of almost seven years ago. Had been working in bars, you know, for thirteen years as you do in Ireland. That's pretty standard. Um, so, hospo for a really long time, managing bars, and I've been around, you know, booze for, for a very long time, but was never really that into beer. Um, I moved to Brisbane, actually, originally, and then worked in some pretty questionable venues up there. Uh,
0: Which ones? Uh, I'm a Brisbane boy. Can you uh, name any, name and shame any?
1: Uh, <laughs> it's it's a very big venue that does drink cards and sells about a, a palette of Corona every Sunday. Okay. I don't
2: know if
1: you, if you know that one, but uh, I'd, I'd rather
2: you just... just... Named, you just named every bar
0: in Brisbane, I think. <laughs> oh, that's a little bit harsh, but it does, you know, <laughs> there are certainly a few that fit that description.
1: Yeah, it was definitely, there was no independent craft beer on top there. Um, but um, then I moved down to Melbourne. I worked at, a, at another respectable venue in Melbourne called Bimbo's on Brunswick Street. Um, and actually owned by Colonial, uh, and they actually had some really good beers on at the time, Stone and Wood, Four um Colonial beers. Um, and then my visa ran out there, and the best friend of our venue manager is a guy called Justin Joyner, who you're probably both very familiar with, who was the venue manager of the local tap house at the time. So. I knew absolutely nothing about beer and kind of did my first shift there and was very overwhelmed. Um, but I kind of just took to it and I thought, well, I've been working in hospital for all this time. Let's see if I can give it a crack. And then, kind of within three years, I was a manager there. I was doing my certified Cicerone. So I just kind of took the bull by the horns and
0: Thought, why not what was your epiphany beer what was the beer that really changed your view about uh, and got you into craft beer
1: um I think everyone that knows me could probably answer this for me but uh Rodenbach Grand Cru is my <laughs> desert island beer my beer that I you know I tasted it and I it blew my mind I never tasted anything like it in my life and still I still drink it now and every time I have this like you know Moment, such an amazing beer. Actually, I think as well at the time, which is now probably five or six years ago, La Serene Wild saison. We had it on a lot at the tap house, and it was it was such a great beer. So I think sour beers are what really got me into to craft beer. Um, yeah, and actually Bridge Road Chevalier saison as well.
0: Uh, Two great Australian beers there. But just going back to Rodenbach, it's one of those interesting ones. Where do you stand on craft beer, for example? Because I I cut my teeth and I've discovered my love of great beer uh, through the Belgians particularly, Um, you know, a little bit about the German beers, but it was really the Belgians that showed how fascinating and, you know, palate changing beer could be. But some of those breweries are of a size and of, a, of, of an age that I don't really call them craft beers. Mm. I, I, that, yeah. that's, that's not a criticism and it's not getting into the discussion. But, you know, do you think that we should recognise that they are craft beers or does, is the definition of craft beer changing in, in, in your view?
1: Yeah, I think I, I totally agree. And those big Belgian breweries and German breweries, yeah, you know, how can you call them craft beer? you know, they're they're making such huge volumes, but um, I think they're really important in terms of being classic styles and making beer really well. And, you know, a lot of them are still, I guess, family owned, but um, I, I think they're really important, but I think that craft beer is changing and, you know, we're starting to call it independent beer. And I think there's almost two kind of classes there.
0: And again, it's, it's not a qualitative thing. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. as, as we see, and we're going to get to the news in just a second, as we see, yeah. you know, international breweries setting up multiple locations, we see private equity investment. You know, it was just really getting your thoughts on whether the term craft has really done its dash and because there is just good beer um, and some of it's independent, some of it's local, some of it's, and you know, good beer in all its forms.
1: Well, I think Australian beer is so young that it, I think it's still important here. Um, just because the education and you know that what everyone knows here, compared to Belgium or Germany or the states, it, it's still, you know in its infancy, I think. So I, th- I think for people to be informed of what's independent beer and what's craft and what's not, is still important in Australia. Um, I think that will probably change rapidly. And, you know, I've only been here for six years and the change that I've seen in that time is astronomical. Mm. So, um, but I I, I do think it has its place and I I personally think it's really important. Um, But I I understand what you're saying um, when, you know, when I say that my favourite beer is Rodenbach and however many millions... leaders they're
0: making every year i love it as well just uh i i I don't know that we need to label it i guess is 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 Mm. what i come back to now settle one thing for me when i do beer tastings the thing i hear most common um apart from why don't i have a beer gut is um guinness tastes at its very best in ireland um and when you speak to the you know sales reps oh no it says good here you know we're making 25 countries around the world and it tastes the same everywhere as somebody who no doubt uh, has had the odd uh, jar or two of, of of Guinness how do they compare
1: there is no comparison it, it it's compl- i i can't drink it here it's, it's and it's the consistency too it's so watery here um and so acidic and bitter and i when i went back home after living here for you know 3 years or something and i i drank my first Guinness it was it's you know it doesn't even compare so that is
0: true. And, and that's not just what I call the bintang effect. You know, when you have bintang in barley um, under a palm tree on holidays and it's cost you 50 cents, it is going to taste better than any other bintang you ever have. It's not just the fact that you're having Guinness in Ireland
1: yeah I, um I like that you would compare Ireland to sitting under a, a palm tree. It's
0: not... <laughs> you know you're drinking in the environment, not necessarily a tropical one.
1: No, it's to- it's a totally different beer. Um, I mean I haven't tasted it in that many other countries in the world. I've heard it's pretty good in uh, Nigeria, but uh, it's it's not great here, but I think it's the same too for you know when you drink heineken here or you drink whatever mass produced lager they always seem to be better where they're actually brewed and where they've been doing it for
0: a long time. Oh, well, thank you very much for joining us on the show, Cassie. We're looking forward to hearing uh, your analysis of the news that we're going to be going through, but we might uh, kick over to James. James, Brewdog comes to Australia. Um, what are your thoughts on Brisbane being the uh, location?
2: Um, yeah, well, obviously it was between Brisbane and Newcastle vying for Brewdog's dog's Australian headquarters, um, and the the location they've chosen is um, you're going to have to pronounce this for is Marari Is that how you pronounce Mar-a-ray. it? In, in Marari, Yeah, God, I knew I'd get it wrong. Um, in you know Brisbane's eastern suburbs, um, pretty interesting, pretty interesting location to have chosen. It's uh, certainly no, it's certainly no Marrickville or. Um, or, uh, you know, Richmond, or I don't know what the other crappy hubs are in Australia, but it's it's, it's they're going to be out on their own there, aren't they?
0: Very much. Um, yeah, Murray is down towards the mouth of the river under the Gateway Bridge, which is one of the major arterials. Uh, not a lot out there. There's the News Limited, um, you know, printing uh, presses. It, it's an industrial estate right near the wharves. Um, it's certainly not exactly a, either a residential hub um, or a culinary hospitality hub, but... Um, but it is right on a major arterial road. So uh, I, I guess that was chosen to get the beer to Sydney and Melbourne. Um, well, that, that's what Zara Pryor said. Um, and it is also a riverfront location. So I think they're hoping to create quite the brew bar that will give people a reason to travel and uh, spend a bit of time there.
2: It's interesting, though, that they sort of talk about how much car parking they're going to have um, at the venue. And, yeah, I wouldn't really think that I'd want to drive to a brew dog. Uh, brew pub personally yeah i did ask that and
0: i i think that they're looking at making it a family friendly venue so you know you, you do have a reason to uh uber makes um, it fairly cheap but there's certainly no public transport they are on the river um but they're not serviced there by a ferry so yeah and no, i look at it uh, that was my um question as well um whether people are willing to uh travel um and have a designated driver to to go to a brewery We'll, we'll we'll wait and see. I, I, I guess the thing for me is they've announced that there's a $30 million investment and we haven't seen much inside what that involves. But when you do break it down, it seems that $10 million of that is going to be the brewery. Um, and of course, that's not being put up by BrewDog. That's actually being... Uh, spent by the developer who is going who owns the land and is going to build the brewery, and BrewDog's going to lease it back. And then there is this other nebulous $20 million that's going to be spent over the next few years. And when you look at that figure, it seems to be um, significantly um, about BrewDog bars. So I think we're going to see some BrewDog bars um, hitting the country. Um, and that in itself is quite interesting because the Queensland government has offered undisclosed incentives to, to get them here. They've touted 256 jobs are going to be created um, over 10 years. But a substantial portion of those jobs will you know, seem to be bar operated, you know, bar jobs that are going to be positioned around the country. So the Queensland government seems to have effectively subsidised Brewdog to come in and create jobs elsewhere.
2: Yeah, and, and so it is undisclosed how much they actually kicked in to to that I assume that initial ten million? Three million I thought was a number I'd heard bandied around. Somewhere. Well I've seen that bandied around.
0: That might be the uh, equivalent value, but I suspect that they haven't put much in terms of actual dollars in, but these things are always commercial and confidence, uh, so you don't actually know.
2: Not when, not when there's a government, not when there's government money involved, though, are they?
0: No, for these sorts of commercial dealings, I don't know what it's like in Sydney or Victoria, but the Queensland government always, you know, whenever they attract movies, it's always very sh*tum about uh, the the amount that's gone in. Um, so yeah, so we don't know. I suspect it's primarily in terms of you know foregone taxes and charges and you know, maybe a little bit of um, you know seed money or something. But I don't know that there's a... You know, I would be very surprised if it was $3 million. And that seems to be the thing that's created the biggest stink in the local industry. The brewers that I've spoken to um, seem to be very welcoming of the idea of BrewDog coming here. They see the positives of you know BrewDog, which has uh, an American brewery, a Scottish brewery, and now a Brisbane brewery. They welcome the focus... Um, internationally that that's going to bring to Brisbane, highlighting the Brisbane good beer scene. You know, you'd imagine that it's going to give uh, a lot of brew dog fans in Australia uh, a reason to come up, um, at least until the brew dog bars start to open around the, the country um, and visit, which will have a flow-on effect for the local uh, breweries. So you know, all of that is very positive. But brewers are very upset that the Queensland government has backed this project when they've done literally nothing to to develop the local beer scene themselves. I think the only uh, recent contribution that the Queensland government can point to is they created craft beer permits, um, which allow craft brewers to go to farmers' markets and food shows and things like that and provide taste samples. Um, Now, of course, those craft beer permits were established in a uh, Stop Alcohol Violence Amendment Act, which is a little bit different to the Wine Industry Development Act that they created for the wine industry. Um, they're fundamentally different to the um, wine permits, where if you're a winery, you can set up at any of the same sort of market and give a, you know, sell a sample. The sample size isn't. Um, you know, uh, specified. So you can sell a full 150 mil serve of wine, um, as a, and call it a tasting sample. Whereas Queensland brewers are limited to giving a 50 mil free sample, um, of their wares and then maybe selling a six pack. Um, so yeah, so like uh, that seems to be the thing that's really, uh, created a bit of, uh, bad feeling amongst the local brewers, not the brew dog are coming and no fear of competition, just at the Queensland government, is it is blind to what is seriously uh, local investment
2: but there probably still is some fear of competition though isn't there just in the sense that Brewdog said that they're going to make two million liters of beer in their first year and um you know that's a pretty massive splash to make in the market um in a market that's already suffering from you know lack of tap points and all of those other things that we talk about week in, week out on this program? You could be right. I mean, the, the Brewers, um, you know, at least saying
0: they're, they're not fearful of competition. Brewers always say that, you know, it's always, uh, look, you know, we, we welcome more players, the rising tide lifts all boats and all of that sort of thing. And I guess, you know, whilst they are, are probably a bit anxious about having such a big player come in, They realise that, you know, whether it's Brewdog or some other large brewery that comes in, there is always going to be more brewers coming along. And that is just the nature of the business that they're in. There is always going to be competition. And they're not, you know, the the, the brewers that I've spoken to who have been the larger uh, Brisbane breweries certainly, you know, are backing themselves making great beer and that they've got good brands. And in that sense, they're not scared of competition. But I'm, I'm sure they're a little bit edgy about, you know, such a big player in a, in a fairly contested market.
1: I think it's a really interesting move because there's such great beer coming out of Queensland at the minute. Um, and you can't really blame those breweries for feeling a bit ousted about the fact that they're not getting those grants. Um, because, you know, we're talking about a massive company that has a lot of their own money who are about to open their own hotel in the States. So, you know, you can't really blame those breweries for for feeling a little, um, I guess, upset about it. Um, And I think it's really interesting too to see, because they're obviously gonna make a lot of beer. Is there really the, pardon the pun, thirst for Brewdog anymore? Um, Are there those tap points? How are they gonna price their beer? How are they gonna price their kegs, their package? Like, I, I, I think I'm just interested to see if there's actually room for them here. Um, I think back however many years ago, you know, everyone wanted those American IPAs from American breweries and UK breweries. And, you know, we've seen in the last couple of years that we don't need to buy those beers anymore because they're being made here fresh, independently owned, So I don't know that they have the following that they might have had a few years ago. Um, Yeah, I I just, I'm a little confused about their kind of target audience. Obviously, you know, Burdog is a cult in itself, but apart from those really pointy end people, I'm a little confused about who they're targeting.
0: It's a really interesting point you make because we, you know, there was all of the black market demand for beers like Stone, um, which... BrewDog was pretty much modelled on Stone uh, when they started, and as soon as Stone beers became legitimately available, it almost seemed to uh, kill the you know that hype demand for it. People are still buying it there sort of because they can get it fresh, but it's still they seem to be sitting on shelves. A lot of bottle shops are making you know smaller orders than they they, they started with, and you know is there an element of BrewDog that once people have tried it fresh, um, and you know they, they make great beers but there are a lot of local brewers making great beer how much will that brew dog effect you know give it an uplift
2: i guess unlike stone BrewDog is going to have a presence here in the form of a you know a big brew pub and in the form of bars where people can actually come and experience the brand and as we know that aspect of is becoming more and more important with beer these days so that would be one way that they would to stone. That's actually the the really interesting thing about both the Queensland government supporting
0: it and it, what a lot of people aren't focusing on. You know, Brewdog presents themselves as being one thing, you know, Brewdog brewery, but they've got 50 bars around the world, I think. Um, and as that number expands and that you know that seems to be where their biggest jobs growth is going to be in Australia, they're creating their own little ecosystem that as an outlet and as a distribution channel for their beers. Sure, they have a guest tap or two here or there, and they talk about celebrating the local beer community, but they're actually going to be um, competing against a lot of the bars that have been taking the independent beer from
2: uh, you know, other breweries. Absolutely. I was just also going to make the point that I still do think there is an element of beer enthusiasts that have that that whole cultural cringe thing where it doesn't kind of matter, <clears throat> you know, what Australian breweries do. Um, and now that, as Cassie said, we've got some breweries here that are pumping out amazing IPAs, for example, um, it's just not exotic to them and they, they don't kind of give them the same, um, you know, kudos that they do brew dog just because it's not from here. And, you know, in Australia, we've got that sort of inferiority complex that what we're doing is not good on a global level whereas i think a lot of the beer that we're making does absolutely stack up with anything that's being made in the states these days
0: look it's certainly going to be interesting um lots of uh, discussion online lots of uh, interest in in the news and no doubt it's going to be something that we're going to discuss a lot over the uh coming uh, months as the, uh, the the brewery rolls out And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Now, Cassie, we saw the, uh, the, the Gab's Hottest 100 roll out, and uh, we saw some of the traditional high scorers who have been bought out over the last uh, 12 months fall a little bit. Um, we've seen the, uh, you know, uh, consumer polls say that independence does matter, Eric Ottaway has come out in the Australian Financial Review and said uh, people don't really care about independence. You get a little bit of a uh, sales hit, but then it comes back. Is there an element of, of course, he'd say that from Eric Ottaway, or do consumers actually care about independence?
1: A little bit of both. I think, of course, he would say that. Um, I actually think that a lot of consumers don't care, but I think that the people who do care are venue owners, venue operators, bottle shops. So, if those people stop stocking your beer because it's not independent anymore, that then obviously impacts sales because you can't buy them. However, I guess then those beers go into venues that might be 80% CUB, so then people are buying them from a different outlet. But I, you know, I see in, in my job that um, a lot of you know, the people who order beer, they care about where it comes from. Um, And I've watched with Life and Feral, those people stop buying that beer for their venue just because they'd rather support someone independent. So I do think, and I also think it it depends on your location and where you are. I think that, you know, obviously in in Melbourne, we care a lot about that kind of stuff. Um, And I'm sure in in Sydney and Brisbane and and Perth in the cities. Um, But I think... Unfortunately, um, a lot of the consumers don't
2: care. And it's just—I mean—I think looking on, you know, you see the results of the Gabs Hottest One Hundred, the Australian poll this year, and those breweries dropping back. Um, you know, obviously that did have an impact. But then, some of the some of the beers that were most hyped on social media amongst, you would assume, exactly the same demographic. Were beers by Mountain Goat, for example, like Mountain Goats, um, you know that Pulp Fiction and Mountain Goats, Back to the Brewer, um, they were just everywhere on social media and amongst that beer geek demographic. So I think with uh, with those people, if the beers if the beer's still really shit hot, and it's it's got really cool branding, then um, they're still going to come back and drink it.
1: Yeah, I think people have very short memories when it comes to that. Like I wouldn't be surprised if you know Pirate Life and Feral. For example bring out something like back to the brewer in the next couple of years and then everyone suddenly forgets that they were you know pouring them down the sink a couple of years ago
2: well Ferrell's uh just yesterday announced that it's bringing out biggie juice um in bottles so um it's it's on the they're on the nepa bandwagon um and if there's going to be anything that's going to um you know smoke the beer geeks out of their caves to drink to drink feral beers again it'll be it'll be an (laughs) neipa
0: absolutely just following on from that uh in terms of independence we've just had the hottest 100 for new zealand and uh, that was taken out by a lion owned beer panhead was that a surprise for you james
2: ah well i mean they was the same as last year um i think it's a very different market there and the polls in its earlier stages and so yeah it's No, I wouldn't say it's a surprise. I guess I just don't really know the the market well enough. What was interesting, though, was the diversity of, of styles that there were in that poll that we didn't have in Australia. And I wonder if, you know, something like Panhead being number one and also just the breadth of styles is something that might change over time as you have more people voting. It's early
0: days for the New Zealand poll. certainly not as many votes um, cast as there have been in Australia. So even a, a small number of votes for any one beer can significantly, you'd imagine, change its place in the Hottest 100. But James makes a good point. They do seem to have a little bit more of a varied uh, range of styles. Certainly Sours had a bigger presence in the, uh, in, in the New Zealand countdown than in the Australian
1: yeah um i totally agree with james and i think you know it's hard to judge whether kiwis are more adventurous in their beer styles or if it's just that the pointy end people are the people who are voting um i was actually surprised at some of the australian results that we didn't have more of those um kind of exciting beers in there but um it'll be interesting to see in the next few years if they if they stick at that even the top 10 how many IPAs were in the Kiwi top 10 was amazing, um, obviously. And Garage Project having 19 of 100 beers and, you know, they definitely don't make uh, boring, normal beers. So it's really cool to see that. Um, but it, I don't know if it's a true representation of what people are drinking or if it's just the, uh, the pointy end of the market voting.
0: And that's something we discussed about the Australian uh, one that... You know, sure, distribution helps, but people are still motivated, have to be motivated to vote. And that does tend to be people who are much more engaged in the uh, craft brewery um, movement, and they are going to skew the results somewhat. But it's also interesting with such a huge representation from Garage Project, you'd have to think that with so many beers eligible, that you know, they've won by having what 19 in the list but at the same time that may have cost them the top spot um, as people vote between various uh, brands and also they withdrew uh, death from above um, halfway through the um, through the year so it really wasn't eligible and may have done better had it still been available
2: absolutely and I reckon that you what we're also what we've definitely seen in the poll this year in Australia is breweries getting um, more strategic about, kind of just choosing one beer that they're going to put in the poll and then putting all their campaigning efforts behind that. I definitely know of some some cases of breweries doing that this year Um, and I know of others that haven't done that and have put 20 or 30 beers in the poll and they had beers that got in last year and none of them got in this year. Um, So it's sort of just, you know, the game's changed a bit and I think people are working out that they have to be a bit careful about how many beers they enter.
1: Yeah, I think actually I spoke to Brendan from Three Ravens early on. I, I don't know if he ended up doing it, but he joked, he said, "Ah, oh, we're just going to submit Juicy. What else will we submit? So I think it's, uh, it's about being strategic about it. They obviously did very well.
0: And yet they want to tell us that they don't care about the results. <laughs> And uh, one result that they do care about is the volume that they're selling, particularly in a uh, tough market. And James, you ran uh, an interesting article this week from Marty Ferguson, formerly of Lion, and he set himself up uh, as a consultancy uh, escalator partners looking at um, giving advice and assistance to small breweries. And he had some interesting things to say about his uh, expectations for 2018.
2: Yeah, well, I think the main one that we that I took from it was just the fact that obviously the big brewers have seen that there's a there's a big opportunity for them if they can um, make beers that both appeal to the seven percent of people who are already drinking craft beers, but all, but also a big much bigger opportunity if they can go after that remaining ninety three percent of people. Um, and I think furphy has got to be the shining example of that. You know, it, it sort of has looks looks a little bit like craft beer, and you know, has probably a bit more aroma and whatever. But it's also just you know seriously easy drinking. It's not like a huge step up from just drinking a lager. Um, and we've seen you know in the independent space, obviously, like Gage Roads have brought out their Albi Lager, and and so yeah, I think I think there's going to be more and more craft brewers that are just looking to make beers that are. Cheaper to make, you know, less expensive ingredients, perhaps hops that aren't as rare, less of them, um, and less of an excise bill, um, just to try and get more volume and profitability.
0: Cassie, do you think
2: that means that the craft beer revolution, you know, we've manned
0: that if we've stormed the, uh, you know, barricades, trying to get people drinking bigger, more interesting beers, to see the, you know, even small independent brewers chasing that, you know, gateway beer segment. Um, the slightly less complicated, slightly less bold, easier drinking styles. Does that mean that, you know, we were wrong, that the future of beer was big IPAs, or what does it mean?
1: I think it's really interesting. We do seem to be, it's almost like we're going backwards. I... My prediction for this year was lagers, every craft brewery is going to make an easy drinking lager and it seems like that is the direction that we're going in as opposed to in the states where, you know, IPA is king. But I I don't know if we maybe need to go backwards to go forwards. Um, There are a lot more people drinking hop heavy beers, but um, there is this thirst for, like you said, Furphy. It's absolutely unbelievable that beer how well it's done in a really short space of time so it it, i don't know i i think maybe this year will be the year of easy drinking beers and then maybe in the next couple of years we'll um kind of climb back up there even i think the success of a new england ipa you know there's this it's this monster but you know it's a beer that you could give to someone that doesn't drink IPAs normally and will enjoy it because it's really low bitterness. So, yeah, that's that's super interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is one of those things. Furfy has uh, gone on spectacularly well, I, and, and I love lagers as well. Uh, and lagers were, were my tip for, for beers to carry on. But since I made that comment and uh, have spoken to a number of brewers, lagers are so expensive for small brewers to make. You know, on a craft basis, and a lot of brewers talk about their lagers being in the tank for 30 to 40 days um, when they can turn over you know similar ales in a third of the time, um, which significantly adds to the expense of that style of beer. And one of the other areas that Marty mentioned was price will be a key battleground. Um, the average price of craft beer in retail um, will continue to fall, and lagers are very hard to, to bring... The, the price down particularly when you're looking at some of the lagers from the uh, multinationals that have serious scale with their product do you, do you think that that's going to count against lager or do you think people are willing you know to, to spend a little bit more for a keg of uh, um, a good lager
1: I think it'll be the breweries who are slightly bigger like we've seen already so hawkers have just brought out their lager in package bent spoke um, you know those guys who can probably afford to maybe take a little bit of a hit on it. Um, I think that smaller breweries will struggle to to do that. Um, And I think it's more maybe gonna be something that's successful in package and not so much on keg. It's, you know, yourself, if you're trying to get a beer on tap in a place, you know, everyone has three or four lagers already, but um, I think in package there's a desire for really well-made just straight lagers. But yeah, it it will be interesting. There's a, a brewery called Stomping Ground who are going to bring out a lager, so uh, <laughs> maybe maybe uh, hit me back in a couple of months and we'll uh, discuss it again.
2: <laughs> is that going to go into cans, Cassie?
1: It is. I hope Steve Jeffers isn't going to kill me for telling you this, but yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and will it be available at
0: the pop up bar at the Melbourne Airport, um, which is uh, a nice segue into our next story, looking at the growth of uh, craft beer at airports. Um, Stomping Ground has their pop up bar at Melbourne Airport uh, and this week, James announced that Beer Deluxe is coming to Sydney Airport. Cassie, it's a fairly exciting development that you can get a decent beer at an airport these days.
1: It's amazing. Speaking of Steve Jeffers, uh, that's his kind of brainchild. Um, I know it's something that all of us kind of hate going to an airport and having to drink a substandard beer. And, you know, I've been to the States and spent time in airports where they've got, you know, stone bars or Ballast Point and you're almost wishing that your flight is delayed so that you can continue drinking delicious beer. So <laughs> um, I think the beer deluxe thing is amazing. It'll be interesting to see how they execute it and what is actually available there, um, especially now that they're, you know, they're owned by Hawthorne essentially. So I'm not sure how many taps they're they're going to have there.
2: Incidentally, the, the um, beer deluxe venue is actually Going to be, it's on the site of a four, of what was already a, a Dixon, or they are now called the Australian Venue Company. They they already had a bar, um, funnily enough, at Sydney Airport called the Tap House.
0: Ah, uh, so it was a Tap House, okay.
2: No relation to um, to Guy and Steve, um, and I've never I'd never really had a drink in there. It just didn't really look like a very inspiring place to to hang out, and it had a big tap list outside. And, and I knew, but probably your average punter wouldn't have, that every single one of those beers was a line a line beer and there are about a dozen taps all there with Squire, Hahn, everything else.
0: That said, I, I was a frequent visitor there, James, because you could always... Were well, At least, a, well, I mean, if you're going through the airport and you've got 45 minutes to kill, you're going to have a beer.
2: Yeah, and you, look, you could you could do a lot worse than than those beers, and, and you, you
0: could get Leffa Blonde, and yeah, you know, I knew that it was lying, and that was always like, okay. a bit disappointing. But you could get a Leffa Blonde, you know, not on tap, but in 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 bottle, and so you know that, that sort of made it uh, reasonable. But will the Australian venue Co um, you know, Beer Deluxe has had fairly strong ties with um, CUB in Melbourne? We've seen the uh, Carlton draft tanks in there do you think that it will be a showcase for independent beer as well as you know some of their 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 larger commercial operations
2: yeah i mean i would suggest that the the um the tap lineup at beer deluxe is probably not as interesting as it was maybe two or three years ago but from what i've seen um i mean they did a big deal with lion actually a couple of years ago um, which i thought was at ceb's expense so i'm not sure that they still have those cub tanks the Carlton draft tanks around as much as they used to now
0: well, perhaps i've been there since last could be a week to to the melbourne yeah
2: area. i'm not sure but but i do i did note that when they set out the press release they said oh there's going to be you know 120 different independent beers available one of those one of the brands they mentioned was hawthorne right. um which obviously is their own house brand so it's sort of um you know calling it independent it's a little bit self-serving really but but I'm sure that look I'm sure that in terms of what is current what has been available in Sydney airport and in airports generally in Australia in the past there's definitely going to be a lot more on offer than than we've ever seen so um, I'm all for it. Airports
0: are a really interesting proposition because on the one hand you can go to just about any airport in the world and not know where you are because they're so generic and that's I, I guess part of that uh, experience, you're just moving through uh, a, a generic space that has no, it's, it's like hotels, they, they often don't have a local theme. But the, the flip side is that I always think that, you know, surely it's nice for a local airport to feature local produce and, uh, you know, really either welcome or send people off with a taste, literally, of the country. Cassie, wh- wh- where, where do you stand on that? Would you rather a generic experience or know actually where you are at each airport?
1: Well, that was a big part of um, Melbourne Airport with uh, Stomping Grounds Terminal Three and a Half. They wanted everything to be local, so the coffees from Pride Mary, the ciders from uh, Saint Ronan's, and I. I think that, especially Melbourne, that's what Melbourne's all about. You know, the the great culture, the great coffee, the great food, and um, I think that whether you're local or you're just visiting, it's a really nice experience to have a bit of that. And like I said, it, you know they do it in the states. You know if you if there's a stone bar at San Diego Airport, you know why can't there be a stomping ground bar at Melbourne Airport?
0: In Brisbane, um, there's a, a bar that's called the Glasshouse Bar. That is just I think it's part of owned by Emirates Hospitality, or you know one of the. It is not actually owned by us, but by a small group. But it's called the Glasshouse Bar, named after the Glasshouse Mountains, um, southeast Queensland's iconic volcanic uh, outcrops. Um, which is designed to capture a little bit of the local um, you know, essence of, of, of the Brisbane Airport. They have had Green Beacon on in the past, both on tap and in bottle. For some reason, suddenly they've lost the tap points and they've gone to one of the, to the big guys. You never know whether that's because they've been offered a very lucrative tap contract to grab those or, as sometimes happen, the craft beers haven't sold in the volumes that a high-cost centre like that um, probably needs um, but, it, but it has been noticeable that it did pop up and then sort of left on tap there and we probably should dig a little bit deeper to find out um, what the reasons were um, although most businesses don't like to open the kimono to that extent we do have a little bit of um mail and it's uh, from a listener vincent hopefully i'm pronouncing this right vincent uh, calabro uh, hi guys, love the podcast and the variety of craft beer Australia has to offer. I moved to Sydney from regional New South Wales late last year and settled in Marrickville. Nice part of the world if you're a beer lover. Um, that was my addition. Uh, one of the reasons was to be so close to all the great breweries in the inner, inner west. It's fantastic. I followed the count during the day and sampled a few beers over the long weekend. Uh, I should have said that this was uh, headed Hottest 100. Um, I've only just caught up with the Hottest 100 podcast, really enjoyed it. I have a query that I would like your expert comment on, so I'm going to throw this to you guys. Uh, I voted for mainly porters and stouts, as even though I wouldn't have them as my regular beer, they are the beers that interest me the most and I get the most enjoyment from them, hence why I voted that way. Do you think if the voting was conducted during the cooler months that these styles would figure more in the top 100? Um, I could count seven dark brown porter stout in the top 100. Uh, keep up the good work. Cassie, did you vote for the hottest 100, even though you're uh, sort of relatively closely associated with it? Did you cast a vote? And what was the basis of your um, you know, top five? And also, do you think that if it was conducted in the cooler months that there might be a little bit of a skewing of the results?
1: Uh, I did vote. I, am um, Stomping grinder ineligible, so uh, I, I I can vote and not um, ruffle any feathers, I guess. Um, I actually voted for mostly my friends, so, <laughs> so just like friends breweries, because I just wanted to you know give them a bit a bit of a pat on the back. But uh, I actually voted for one dark beer, the um, Espresso Martini Colch from Blackmans, just because it was a fun gabs beer, and I you know I thought it was a cool concept um yeah i think that it probably would see a lot more darker bears if it it was in the middle of winter i think you know i see with our bears our upside down which is our brown ale go from you know selling you know maybe 20 to 30% of what we do to selling absolutely nothing. It's like people forget that dark beers exist once the sun's out. Um, I don't feel that way personally. I drink dark beers all year round, but I I think that would be an interesting uh, experiment to see if we'd see more dark beers in the middle of winter.
2: Dark beers are still such a small part of the market, though, really. Those hop-driven styles are uh, just so big, Um, I don't think it would make a huge difference really when the poll was done. I think it might, I think it might make a little bit of difference, but I I don't think it would be, I don't think you'd see it swing seriously in that direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I'm with you, James. And the interesting thing I found about Vincent's email was his method of voting because, uh, you know, a lot of people say it's just a popularity contest. Um, but everyone's got a different criteria for their, their top five. Cassie has just said that she votes for her friends. Um, which is, makes it a true popularity contest, I believe, because if we've got the most (laughs) reads, um, I tend to vote, you know, I tend to avoid voting for, you know, one off or highly limited release beers because, um, you know, to to me, they're a little bit irrelevant in that broader market, and I vote for the beers that I keep finding myself coming back to year on year, which probably makes it a little bit less the hottest one hundred in the truest sense of the word. But it's you know beers that I think are my most popular beers. How do you cast your vote, James? Did you vote this year? I know last
2: year when I listened back to the podcast, you hadn't. No, I actually haven't voted. um To be honest, this year I was going to, and I just didn't get around to it. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean yeah but you, you're right though I mean if I was going to I def, I definitely wouldn't just make it a limited edition uh, one-off thing because you're just pissing in the wind it's like voting for a single issue party in the Senate or something like that isn't it yeah look i I, I
0: think you're you're right it does you know, but then again that's the Beauty of the vote. If, uh, you know, everyone's got their different motivation, and I don't think you can draw any one conclusion from the vote, but it adds to that great discussion that we have, you know, year on year about the uh, changing face of beer. So, uh, anyway, Vincent, thank you very much for emailing us that. Uh, you have a Brews News barblade making its way to you if it hasn't already. Uh, listeners, if you want to have your questions answered, get the thoughts of our uh, expert panel, um, or even just give us a bit of feedback, you can uh, email us at producer at now, Cassie, thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully that wasn't too much of an ordeal for you joining us on Radio Brews News this week.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. I hope I uh, did prof Pride.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you did, and I'm going to encourage him to take more vacations. <laughs> James, always good to uh, to have you back and uh, have a bit of a chat, but listeners, just so you do know, we are tweaking, the, not the show itself, um, we, we do have Cassie on, and we are going to get some regular um, alternative voices, just because James, Pete, and I do get actually tired of listening to ourselves, and it's nice to get uh, some fresh perspectives, so we will be having uh, Cassie back, if Cassie's willing to come back, and also a couple of other regular guests uh, joining us, but we're also going to t- tweak the days that we, we let these drop, and um, the feedback that we've gotten from you over the last uh, 12 months is that you don't necessarily listen to them on the first weekend that it drops. And it seems to be something that a lot of our listeners listen to, to and from work. So we are going to have record Radio Brews News later in the week and then roll it out on a Sunday night. So it'll be in your pod stream on a Sunday night for your Monday morning uh, trip to work. And then it'll probably go up uh, on, the, on the site on the Monday um, and then Beer is a Conversation is going to be, uh, that dropped yesterday um, with a great chat uh, with uh, Steve Drissel from Staves Brewery, is going to drop on a Wednesday um, into your podcast feed. So that way you'll get a freshener for the second half of your week uh, on hump day. Um, so watch out for that. Um, thank you to our sponsors Cry Malt and also Brewpack for making the show possible. And uh, I guess that's a wrap for the show, guys. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, thank you for listening, listeners, and we'll be back next week with another news analysis and discussion. James, thank you. Cassie, thank you.
1: Thank you. Cheers.
2: Thank you. And we're out.